0: Today, we take a look at two really cool apps you can use to increase your own paranormal skills. And then we travel to Michigan to find a giant copper ore boulder sitting in the middle of nowhere. But when the US military got involved, were they trying to make unlimited pennies or trying to contact an ancient Native American deity? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day, too. I just woke up from one of my patented night naps. But you guys didn't know about this. I bet you guys didn't know that you could nap at night. It's great. You guys are like, dude, I don't have time to nap. What are you talking about, man? I'm super busy. Hey, I'm super busy, too. There's nothing more beautiful than taking a nap at night. Not sleeping... (laughs) <laughs> well, you're asleep. You're asleep, obviously. You're not just pretending. You're just laying there. Your kids are like, Dad, Dad, what are you doing? You're just staring off into the void. You you do sleep, but, dude, it's awesome. And the person who just woke me up from my night nap is our newest Patreon supporter, Banked Sassy Pants. Everyone give a round of applause as Banked. Banked is slowly moving my prone body. Dude, get up. You got a podcast to do. You got a podcast to do. Everyone give a round of applause to Banked. Banked, you're going to be our captain, our pilot of this episode. You're going to be our official nap waker or If anyone falls asleep in this episode, you're going to wake up to a dude just standing next to you at a broom handle. If you can't support the Patreon or if you don't have a broom handle, that's fine, too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. So, Banked, let's go ahead and toss you some coal. Let's hop in the Carpenter Caboose, and we are going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed out to ankara turkey i can't fight this feeling little babies dancing <laughs> the carpenter Goose is leaving behind it's going to ankara turkey as we're on the way to turkey i wanted to talk to you guys about some really cool stuff the both of them were recommendations from you guys one of them i've barely investigated but it's the weekend like this is the start of the weekend i think you guys will have a lot of fun with this and it takes a while to get started so i want you guys well you can decide whether or not you can decide whether or not you want to use this. I'm not saying like do it. But um I'm I probably will cover a full story on it in the future. But I think it would be cool to get some feedback from you guys as well. Nate, Patreon supporter Nate, thank you very much for this, sent me over a link to an app called the RV Tournament. And it's not as cool as it sounds. It's not Mortal Kombat. It's not Mortal Kombat with RVs punching each other. It's a remote viewing tournament, and I've actually been do- where's my phone at? Where did I put my phone? I've actually been doing it for the past couple of days, and I- I'm getting ready to read some articles and do some research on it and all that. But before I did absolutely any research on it, I downloaded it onto my phone. It's a remote viewing tournament. And what it is, it's, it's actually super simple. This isn't a paid, this is going to sound super chilly, but I'm not getting paid for this. It's actually really simple. Download it to your phone right now. What it is, is they want you to look at your phone in the future. So when you have your phone, they want you to picture looking at your phone tomorrow at like, say, 1.30 p.m. or 2.30 p.m. or something like that. And then it has you draw a sketch of what you think that might be. And then it presents you with two images. And you choose which image you think it is with like a slider, like how how confident are you that it's the top image or the bottom image? So when you, so it's really it's it's kind of a cool thing because it'll present me with the white image and I saw it and then I just was imagine it's imagination right? <laughs> but I imagine like a, a waves. So I actually drew, like, these waves. And then the pictures that were presented to me was, like, a factory and three tennis balls right next to each other. And even though the three tennis balls next to each other weren't waves, that was the image I was seeing, like, the lumps. So I selected that picture with 100% confidence. If, if the balls weren't there, I'm canceling the show, basically. And then today at 1.30, I got the, the notice that, yes... I did select the right one. It's really cool. Like right now I have a score of 14, which I've been doing it for a couple days. You can only do it once a day. It's not like Farmville where you can keep going back and watering your crops and stuff like that. But it does keep track. Apparently right now I'm the 1300th most powerful remote viewer in who is currently using this app in the month of January. So watch out. It's kind of a neat thing. I joked with Nate. I said, great. Now, when Professor X <laughs> sends a bunch of goons to throw a bag over my head and throw me in a truck, I'll know why. That's my concern about the app. Like, obviously, it's kind of a cool thing. Oh, and you can win money, too. I glossed over that part because <laughs> I don't think I'll ever win money using this app. But apparently, if you get high enough in the ranks, you can actually win money. It's like $10 gift cards. It's You know, it's not like... It's not like they're asking you to look inside of a bank and they're like, and what is the man with the key doing now? You're like, oh, he's saying goodbye to his family. No, you win a couple bucks. But my concern with it, I did load it on my phone and I have been using it pretty consistently. Over the, I've been using it for about four or five days now. I've gotten two right. I've gotten two like dead on. And I think I got one that was okay and the other two I got off. So my concern is that this is an app used to find superheroes like this is ba- they gave up. Uh, the governments of the world gave up sending agents out to like find a little girl who's levitating a teddy bear. They're just like screw it. Let's just put it in TikTok. Let's turn it into an app and these goombas will download it and be like, "Hey, look at me. Ma. I'm psychic." And then the cops break down your door. If hopefully just the cops. Again, a Professor X comes and goes, "I want you to come to my I don't know. Professor X would be dope. If anyone's going to kidnap me, I hope it's Professor X and the X-Men." But uh, they don't <laughs> So I guess my choices are organized crime or people trying to take my top 1,300 psychic skills. It can It's on a phone now. They can track me wherever I go. It has proof of my psychic abilities, as well as a bunch of Taylor, photos of Taylor Swift. They'll be like, ah, what a weirdo. And then... Well, actually, there is no end the end. That's the end of that one. So I wanted you guys to check. You guys might want to check that out this week after that glowing, after that glowing review. You're like, what? No, I don't want a bunch of people kicking down my door. I'm taking a night nap. I'm trying to sleep. Bank, though, is taking us not to the App Store. It's actually taking us to Ankara, Turkey for another really cool thing that I want to share with you guys. I had actually come across this a, a while back. I was kind of puttering around with it. But then I got an email from Vertigo, longtime listener of the show Vertigo. He goes, hey, have you seen this map? Have you seen the 40n map? The 40n map is what I think, I don't want to oversell it, but I think, it's the, I think it's the evolution of the conspiracy theory iceberg. I think the conspiracy theory iceberg is cool. We've hit so many topics on it. We've hit almost all the good ones. There's still probably about 30 or 40 really good topics on there, but we've covered a lot. We've actually covered a lot on that show that I didn't even know was on the Conspiracy Theory Iceberg, like the Stonehead of Guatemala. I'll put that in the show notes. That's a really cool mystery. But it's a static image, and at this point, there's almost weekly attempts to just fill it up with jokes. Hitler's left testicle is an animated character. Do not research. And you're like, oh, come on, man. And then you research it, and you're like, hmm. But, you know, you just see a bunch of attempts for humor. There's a new thing out there, and again, I wanted to share, you, share this with you guys, and thank you, Fertigo, for bringing it back to my attention. The Fordian map. It has the same weird issue as the Conspiracy Theory Iceberg. We have no idea where this came from. And you can just... The, somebody took the time to put extremely obscure paranormal events and mysteries and tag the locations all over the world. It's a really, really cool app or or map thing you go through it you look through it um i would look through it a long time ago there's a lot of really cool like boat mysteries i want to cover some of them where it's just again it's not just like oh they found a boat it was empty like yeah that's a mystery but that's like really bizarre stuff that's happened at sea and then they have a lot we um they did ricky's story yesterday the one that i talked about the guy turning in a mist i had never heard that one before i found it on the fortian map looking around and then I saw all the list-first articles and things like that. So most of the stuff on the map can be verified. But if, you, if you're curious about really obscure stuff happening in your area, this is a really cool thing to check out. I want you guys to check it out. If you guys come across some really, really cool stuff, don't hesitate to send it to me. If you guys send me a whole list of things, it can make it harder for me to respond to the email just because I want to click on everything. But... If you guys find, like, two or three really, really cool mysteries on there, don't hesitate to send them over. And that's what Vertigo did. Vertigo actually had been clicking around on this map, and he goes, hey, you know, this is really cool. I don't know if you haven't seen this before, but I've come across these two stories that I just can't verify. Like, I, do you know anything about these? Choo, choo, the train has stopped in Ankara, Turkey. This is one of the ones Vertigo sent to me. Really, really cool. Really, really cool story. And yeah, check out the Fortean map if you get a chance this weekend. The year is 2015, and in Ankara, Turkey, there's this beautiful movie theater. I don't know if it's beautiful. I'm just assuming it's going to be totally run down, but the name's nice. It's called the Cinema Maximum Panora Theater, and it has an elevator. So there you go. It's classy. How many movie theaters do you know that are gross that have elevators? So we're in the theater now. We're wearing our nice movie-going clothes. The elevator doors open up, ding, and inside is a dead body. Now, when the police show up, we go see the movie. We were like, ah, we'll just take the stairs. We go see the movie. When we come back, the police are there. And this is what they figure out. The man's name was Belial Rusgar. He was the cashier of the movie theater. He was shot twice in the chest, which was curious because, of course, people go, did you guys hear any gunshots? Nobody did. I mean, you're at a movie theater. (laughs) Every movie is nothing but gunshots, right? They're playing, like, The Expendables in one theater, Transformers 3 in the other. But nobody heard any gunshots They said when the door opened up, that was it. The door opened up and the body was in there. But this elevator has been in operation. So it's not like this body had just been laying there for four days or something like that. Like, you would figure the attack took place in the elevator going up or down. When the doors opened up, you would assume the murderer would run out. That's just not the case. The doors just opened up. There's just this body. And I know what you're thinking, John McLean. He escaped through the trap door at the top. Well, no, they did check that there was no movement on the trap door at the top. So where did the killer go? And the most odd thing of all, when they take him and they do an autopsy on him, they do it next to the concession stand. Cops are eating popcorn. blah, blah, blah. When they take him actually to the coroner's office, do the autopsy on him. He was dead for four days. But that elevator had been in operation that whole time. Now, that's one of the ones that Vertigo sent me, and I was not able to verify anything about it. So, it's labeled as the elevator riddle. It's the name of that story. So, you go, well, maybe it's some sort of thought experiment. So, maybe you guys are familiar with that riddle. I never heard of that. That movie theater exists, though. I was able to track it down. The elevator's real. I couldn't verify the name of the cashier. I couldn't verify that there was a murder there. (laughs) I couldn't figure that there was a super spooky murder there. That was something that was found on this Paranormal... It's called the Fordian map. Fordian is a term meaning the exploration of the weird. So some of the stuff you'll find on this map are things you can't back up. I, most of the stuff I've been able to find articles on. But, banked sassy pants, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We're going to leave Turkey. We're going to check out another part of this map. We are going to head on out to Thornton Township, Illinois. Brrr dead rabbit dirigible is flying back to the united states it's january 1846 and in this little area in illinois there's two boys there's bill groves and william kurt and they're just kind of walking little kid feet they're like 11 years old i'm assuming <laughs> the story only makes sense if they're kids if they're both like 32 years old it doesn't make sense but i i, I don't know what their ages are they're walking through the snowfield, and all of a sudden pew, william gets hit in the back of the head with a snowball and he's like oh Bill, you big old galoot, what'd you do that for? Apparently they are 33-year-old men. And Bill's like, I didn't do that at all, William. You're drunk, you're on the sauce again, and you promised Betty you wouldn't drink again. Then Bill gets hit with a snowball. And then more snowballs start hitting them. So they're in the middle of this snowy field, and they figure out it's probably some jerk From from the mechanic shop next door to the bar that's always picking on them. They turn around and they're seeing snowballs fly across the field and hitting them. But they're the only ones in the field. They said that the snowballs didn't break on impact, which is actually quite hilarious, right? It's just like a ball of snow. It hits you and then the ball would fall to the ground. So they weren't turning to powder when they hit you. They said it also seemed like they were rising up in the air by themselves flying across the field and pummeling them they said they it it would almost like they would go up like 10 feet in the air these things were gaining some distance and then raining down all these kids so they run and they get bill grove's dad and he doesn't believe him obviously he's 80 years old at this point he has these two 33 year old kids he's like guys come on it's not snowballs hitting you out of nowhere Bill Groves' dad goes out there. They take him out to the field. He doesn't see anything. There's no weirdness going on. It's just a snowy field. Then the snowball reign of terror begins again. They just lift up out of nowhere and begin pelting all three of them. But this time, the snowball assault is so violent. Poor William Kurt. William Kurt. Ah! Ah, come on! Ah! He's getting hit with them. He falls on the ground. He's like, ah! Oh, tell Betty I love her. Betty, I love her. He dies. William Kurt actually gets hit by so many snowballs, he dies. I can't believe Even on this show, that's a bizarre statement to make. So according to this little blurb on the Fortean map, this was backed up by newspaper accounts. This was backed up by police records that said that the boys both had suffered concussions from the snowballs. The dad, dad apparently was using the kids' shield. He didn't get a concussion. I was not able to find anything to back that up. That's called the Grove Kurt incident. So it's interesting because you'll have if you saw the Grove Kurt incident on the conspiracy theory iceberg, it would kind of put a little puzzle in your brain. You try to figure it out. It's like that. They have stuff that you can easily verify, and then there's others. All of them have a description, though. I should add that. Well, it's not as super vague as the conspiracy theory iceberg. All of them have at least a little paragraph to kind of wet the whistle, but. These are two that Vertigo couldn't find anything on, and I couldn't find anything on these either. I looked all over for the Kurt Groves incident. I looked all over for boys dying from snowballs as I laughed the whole time. I'm like, what a job you have, Jason. And, yeah, I couldn't find anything on it. But it's still a spooky story. It's, I mean, I, I hate snow anyways, <laughs> but that's why it's spooky to me. But yeah, check out this and map. It's a crazy weird world out there. You guys will also find some really weird stuff. Most of it, again, is verifiable. Or if it's not true, it'll you can track it back to its source, which can be an interesting story in and of itself as well. I have a story coming up. About a lot of people falling into portals. I found about four accounts of people falling into portals. And we'll fall into a portal as we tell that story. But we'll tell that story at a later date. Right now, we're going to give banked sassy pants the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind Thornton Township, Illinois. We are headed out to... The Upper Peninsula of Michigan. <laughs> Copter headed out to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Where specifically, we're headed to the Ontonagon River, which is right off of Lake Superior. Now, sitting there, this had been here for quite a long time before the settlers got here. There was a massive chunk of copper ore sitting on a river beach. Carboner lands next to the ore. We're going to set a base camp because we're going to be here for about 150 years. So I hope you guys made plans for a babysitter. I hope you said goodbye to your loved ones. We're going to sit here at the beach and we're going to watch time pass. Now you have this giant copper ore. The native population in the area, they had several tribes around Lake Superior. Most of the native tribes in the area used this copper stone. One, you could just mine it, if you knew where the mines were. But let's say, you know, you are tired that day. You do not want to go mining. You could walk up to this giant ore deposit, just sitting on the beach, and grab some off of it. They say that they think it was a, like an iceberg. Not an iceberg, an ice wall that it, during the Ice Age pushed. It's like, no, no copper here, man. Get out, find a new place to live. The ice flow pushed the copper down, and then it just ended up on the beach. And it's like, fine, I'll just sit here for a thousand years. And then when the natives were in the area, they would go up, they would be able to chisel pieces off of it and take it, and they would use it for jewelry. They would use it to actually uh, help conduct heat. They'd use it to help boil water. But you had to be really careful where you got your copper in the area. You had the Jibwa tribe, who had a legend about what happens if you take copper from the wrong area. There was a story of four young warriors who went out to get some copper off of this island in Lake Superior. Beautiful, beautiful island with untold riches of copper. They actually took some of it. They were headed back to their village. Why did you take my child's playthings? They hear, and they're like, Is that, Was that you, Bill? Was that you? It's was like, No, I don't have any kids. Was that you, Jerry? Uh-uh. No, no. I, my, my kids are... They don't have playthings. They're boring. <laughs> they're super boring kids. They realize there's something underneath their canoe. Why would you take that from my island? As they furiously try to make their way back to the village, they're getting killed off one by one until at the end, there is only one survivor. He makes his way back to his village, holding a piece of copper, and he says, Don't do that. <laughs> don't ever go back to that island. We all got killed. There's something protecting it. Ugh. But the Chippewa tribe in the area, they didn't, they didn't care about any of that stuff. They're like, what? Well, no, we, I, I kind of heard about that. I kind of heard about the four people getting picked off one by one as they furiously rode back to the beach. But, uh, you know, fake news. We don't believe that. They were totally fine with just picking up copper, and they had access to this giant chunk of copper. They don't need to go to a mysterious island shrouded in fog. Just go to this giant thing. Now, when I say giant... Early estimates of it was this was a chunk of raw copper that weighed 10 tons. That's a lot of pennies, ladies and gentlemen. And this is happening back in old colonial times where they still made pennies out of copper. As the settlers are moving into the area, by the earliest 17th century, they start getting reports of, dude, you won't believe this. There's a giant thing of copper sitting on a beach you just walk up and grab handfuls off of it it's so malleable that you can reach in and you, everyone's pretending they're a supervillain and just rah, pulling off a chunk of copper in 1766 that's when you start seeing reports that it's 10 tons by 1798 you're actually able to get people out there it's no longer a tall tale that one-eyed explorers are telling in some trading posts now you got two-eyed explorers telling these and trader folks they can see it all. It actually weighs 2,200 pounds, so it's close to a ton, or it's over a ton. So people were a little disappointed. They imagined it to be bigger, but what are you going to do? It's still raw copper. It's still very, very valuable. In 1841, I love this story. I thought this was so funny. So now we're... Ooh, done camping, we took many, many night naps over the past 150 years, but now it's time for us to start joining a crew. We're going to become active participants in the story. In 1841, there's a man named Julius Eldred. He owns a Detroit hardware store, and he says, you know what, I'm going to take that copper ore off that beach. I'm going to do it legally, because I'm a legal man, but I'm going to take it. So he actually is able to contact members of the Chippewa tribe. That is the le- They controlled the land in that area. He spies it from him for $150, which in nowadays money is $3,700. It's like, fine, it's worth way more than that. Gets it prepped for travel. They have to like build this whole mechanism for it. Now it's in the middle of no, well, now, back then it was in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> nowadays there might be a bunch of houses there. He started this in 1841. He first had to build this mechanism to kind of prop it up. And he owns this at this point. But it's 1843, that's the soonest he can come back to start really moving this thing. Because it's just way too massive. He gets there, and there's a bunch of miners hanging out. The occupation, not the kids. They got their pickaxes. Now, they're not messing with the ore, they're just kind of hanging out, you know, probably digging in a hole (laughs) like miners are supposed to do. In a cave. Julius shows up. He's like, hey, guys, what's up? Yeah, I'm just here to pick up my copper rock. And they go, no, that's our copper rock. And he goes, no, 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 I bought it. I bought it from the Chippewa tribe. And, and they say, oh, he, they never owned it. They they, they ripped you off, dude. We actually own this land. We, we, Here's the deed. We've owned this land for, for a while now. You just happen to talk to a bunch of Native, <laughs> Native Americans walking by on the way to the store. And you're like, hey, can I buy this? And they're like, yes, give us money. So then he has to pay the miners $1,300, which is the equivalent of $37,000 in today money. I don't know if he had it on him. I don't know if he just had like a giant wallet, a comically sized wallet, or Scrooge McDuck money bag with him. But now he's like, great. But he still knows that this rock is worth enough. He's still going to make a profit. But now he still has to move it. It's at the bottom of this riverbank. But not like underwater, but just like sitting on the shore, and he needs to get it 50 feet up this mountain to enact his final plan to move it out of the area. Because it's this little tributary off the river. It's not like on the main river. They build one of those giant cranks that they used in that movie Conan. You know that prop? They got the prop replica from the movie where you—it's the giant wheel, and everyone pushes. Oh, oh! And Julius is there with the whip, and everyone gets stronger and stronger, and they all become Conan. It's like a giant wheel that people pull, and it lifts a rope. They lift this rock up 50 feet. Takes a week to do that. That would be rough to be like, okay, guys, we're done for the day. There's a giant, there's a ton of rock just swinging in the wind. We're going to lift it another two feet tomorrow, guys. Get ready. Everyone's like, oh, my muscles are so sore. They then build a railroad. This is like so I didn't even know they really did stuff like this. I guess in the back of my head I knew they built railroads, but the way they did this, I guess I kinda of figured they did this, but I, I've seen it in movies. They get it on loaded onto a rail cart and they'll build a railroad, but they don't have again, this is like a traveling group. It's basically a group of traveling circus freaks, but they're moving copper. They gotta put it in this railroad cart and they'd build the rail out and then they'd push it. And then when they get to the edge, they would disassemble the track that was behind it and then move it in front of it and then push it another 30 feet. And they did that for miles and miles and miles until they get to the main river where they can now put this on a boat, take a long rest, just sit there for the longest time, soaking their entire body in Epsom salt. It's done. Now they're just going to take this or to Copper Harbor, ironically. Weird this is the story gets really weird from here on out. Not just the fact that it's called Copper Harbor. I'm like, the end. They take it to Copper Harbor and who's there to greet them? The US War Department. All of them. Every single one. Every general, every troop. They get there and there's an emissary from the US War Department, they're like, hey, it's really cool. It's a feat. Of engineering that you were able to move this giant boulder. Thank you. We're taking possession of it. And Julius is like, what? No, you're not. And he's like, yes, the Secretary of War has sent me here to demand you turn over that giant piece of copper. Julius has already been ripped off at least once. The miners may have been ripping him off too. He's like, there's no way I'm letting him do this. So he puts on like a little, that <laughs> 90 stages of talent show. And the Secretary of War is like, what, I love talent shows. And all the miners are like doing different acts, trapeze acts and stuff like that. Pie throwing contest. It was all a distraction. What Julius did in real life, he didn't really do that. What Julius did in real life is he did distract them somehow. That's now part of the lore. He did distract them somehow and they moved the ore to another boat and they shipped it off. So the next morning when the Secretary of war wakes up he's like oh what a great night and i won i won best talent show he has a sash he goes i didn't even enter it's amazing my mom's gonna be so proud of me the copper ore is gone julius has run away with the copper ore secretary of war is like damn it we'll never find it now well julius took the giant copper (laughs) julius who had just outrun the secretary of war's henchman took the giant copper ore took it back to detroit put it on display you could pay money To come and visit this giant, inanimate piece of ore. No touching, because then you just take enough copper to pay for your ticket. No, you'd come in and you'd look at the biggest piece of like freestanding ore ever. One quarter, please. Well, of course, it wasn't too hard. (laughs) I mean, they're looking for the dude anyways. He's outrunning authorities, and then he put what he stole. Well, it was his, but the government wanted it. So as far as they're concerned, he was stealing it. They show up and they all have a quarter. And he's like, damn it, it's a bunch of policemen with quarters. He's like, oh, great. They go to take it. He takes them to court. It's this whole thing. The judge orders the government, if they want the ore, they're going to have to pay this man $5,600. And Julius has a big smile on his face uh, because nowadays that's what, a used car, $5,600. But in old-timey money, that was $154,000. So he made it out like a bandit. He definitely made a profit on that, even including all the people building that railway and all of that. The talent show, he still (laughs) owes money for the talent show. He rented out that entire gazebo, but he's made out like a bandit. Plus all the quarters he got from people who wanted to look at copper. Eventually, it ended up um, at the War Department. They took possession of it until 1860. Then the Smithsonian took possession of it. And now it's on display at the National Museum of Natural History. But it's not. Here's my theory. We're going to wrap it up like this. Put on our conspiracy caps here. Our copper-coated conspiracy caps here for a second. They say that it's owned by that museum, but it's behind the scenes. They go, we can't show it to you. It's too heavy. I find it, which might be true. I don't know. Maybe they have really crummy floors there. It is a government building after all. I think it's interesting that the, I imagine when I was reading that story that the government just wanted to make pennies out of it. Why would the Secretary of War specifically want it? And they kept it up until the year 1860. And then the Secretary of War goes, no wars are going to happen. We, we don't foresee a war coming that's going to rip the country in part anytime soon. We don't need this ore. So then they relinquished control of it and the Smithsonian got it. But when I was researching this copper rock, I kind of just stumbled across it. And at the same time, in another group of tabs, another group of browser tabs, I was researching the story, no joke, of the underwater panther of Lake Superior. I hadn't even made the connection between the two. I had two, I had maybe 24 tabs open spread across two windows. And in a single evening looking at all these articles, I, I realized, I, I can't believe that this even happened this way. At the same time, I in another other section was looking at this water panther. His name is Mishipeshu. And he's very, very well-known in the Great Lakes region. Some people say that he's even well-known by the Mississippi Mound Builders. That this was such an important deity for the Native Americans in the Midwest that it went down to the South. Everyone was talking about this guy. He was one of those creatures that was both a hero and a villain. Depending on his mood and depending on what you did. He could either save you from that boat accident or devour you and everyone back at your tribe. It was Mishipeshu who went to war with the feared Thunderbirds. The underwater panther was the one creature that could actually destroy the Thunderbirds that controlled the skies. It is what it sounds like. It was a massive cat, but it also had bison horns and spikes on its back. What looked like fur was actually scales to protect it in its war against the Thunderbirds. It was the master of all underwater creatures. If you were able to fish and get a bountiful harvest, it was because of the underwater panther. If you died in the lakes, in the rivers, in the ponds, it was because you made him mad. But when he wasn't blowing up thunderbirds, or sinking ships, or helping them, or both, you're on a sinking ship and you look over and he's giving other guys a piggyback ride on their boat, he was guarding copper. It was the one thing he loved the most. If you wanted copper... You had to be very specific where you got it from. There was mines all over the area of the Great Lakes where you could harvest this copper. But if you got the copper from Mitch Patoken Island, that was his copper. You never take it from that island. He will come for you. He will take it back. And that's where those young warriors had gotten it earlier. They had gone to this forbidden island and took his copper. But remember that giant chunk of copper, that boulder... It didn't belong on that beach. It came from somewhere else. Here is my suggestion. Thousands of years ago, an ice floe breaks off a giant chunk of loose copper and just pushes it, not far from that island, but far enough. Did the government take possession of this? Not because they wanted to make a bunch of pennies. Did the U.S. War Department take possession of this because they wanted to contact this underwater deity to help them in their wars. It's far-fetched, obviously, but we have precedent. Just yesterday, we talked about the Ethiopian government might have been trying to take control of holy Muslim relics and trying to take control of the Ark of the Covenant. There's all sorts of talk about people searching for the Spear of Destiny during World War II. There's precedent for this. Why wouldn't you go after a relic even if you didn't believe in that particular religion? Why not go after it? And if you'd been hearing these stories... Of stealing copper from this island brings out this vengeful god. What happens if you could find a ton of it and move it and take possession of it? And then you bring in, the military brings in their scientists and their mediums and their mystics. And they study this. Some of them just shake their head and go, no, it's just copper. I don't know why you're here. (laughs) I'm just a scientist. I'm a chemist. But then you'd have the medium standing over it and they're like, this is. This piece of ore is actually from that island. And the Panther has been looking for it. We can contact him and ask for his assistance. This may have not just been a giant chunk of copper. It could have been a bomb waiting to go off. Halfway through pushing it through the wilderness of Michigan, that entire crew could have been slaughtered. It would have been chalked up to some accident, a wild bear attack, or they were laid upon by natives in the area. Or Julius could have actually got it on the boat and they were sailing away and the boat sank in Lake Superior. All hands were lost. He brings it back to the store and it's just sitting on display. Everyone's having a ball looking at this giant chunk of metal. But one night, Julius doesn't open up his store. He's never seen again. None of these things did happen. So either the underwater panther wasn't aware that the rock was being moved from its location. Or it was fully aware of what was going on. But it didn't want to trifle in the matter of a bunch of people building a railroad or knocking out a boat. It was beginning to become forgotten by the people who once worshipped it. It wanted a whole new way to access power. So when this chunk of ore that an ice flow moved from the underwater panther's island to this small tributary is now in the hands of the government in some warehouse... As generals and mystics and mediums stand around it. The underwater panther reappears. He's now no longer fighting thunderbirds. He's no longer simply guarding copper in a lake. He's a weapon of war. He helps sink enemy ships. He destroys enemy aircraft that goes down all hands lost for no reason. And you're saying, Jason, why would a Native American deity align itself with the United States government? Why would it work with the United States government? Oh, I'm not saying that. That was the plan. But if you look at stories over the millennia, these deals always go wrong. The underwater panther isn't working for us. Our government is working for it. A secret cult, a secret god that runs everything in this country. We thought we were going to control an ancient god. Instead, we became enthralled to it. The underwater panther once ran the Great Lakes region. And the tribes of the area worshipped it because they had to. Now, the underwater panther controls the world. And you worship it without even knowing. Signs and symbols... Laid out, it gains in power every single day. Now, obviously, conspiracy cap fully on. Possibly a work of fiction. Possibly. But the next time you are at the grocery store, the next time you're spending some money, remember that those pennies in your pocket are completely worthless. There's no longer any copper in them. Where did all of that copper go? Was it an economic decision? It, was just, it just cost too much to mine the copper, to mint something that was only a penny? Or are the mining operations still going on full swing? But all that copper for all those pennies is being sent as an offering to the creature that runs the world.